Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Shall we begin with a prayer? Lord, we thank you that you are servant to many, that you show us how to serve. Teach us your way of loving others. Through the grace of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. My name's Natalie. If I haven't met you before, I'm the associate vicar here, um, but I'm fairly new, so I'm still learning some faces. We've had a joyous time, haven't we, in this summer series, finding out about what it means to come to Jesus. And I don't know if any of you are around um, for our first week, but we started out with this glorious invitation. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, and we're invited to come to Jesus if we were feeling a little bit weary. And as we've been going through the weeks, we've been coming to Jesus, and we've looked at a different characteristic for each week. And this week, we'll be pondering what it means that Jesus is humble and servant-hearted as we come to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you've been reading your Bible, but one thing that sticks out at me about Jesus is when people come to him, he often asks them questions. So I'd like to get us into the questioning vibe, and one of the tech team is going to put up the first of my slides. I wonder what question you'd like to ask Jesus. So to get us into that questioning approach, so you can either do this in silence on your own, at home or in church, you can be quiet and silent, or you can turn very briefly to your neighbor and figure out together what question you'd like to ask Jesus. Go. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, when I was online for one of the services, at one point they flicked over the sound setting and I could hear you all chitter-chattering even though I was at home and it's a real joy to your heart. Now you see, I really like people who ask questions and I've got a reason for that because I think it shows their care and their compassion, and ultimately their openness to another person. Because actually, unless you're really interested, you tend not to ask questions. And I think it shows, Jesus' questioning nature shows us something of his humility and his humanity. That humility that contrasts so much with our world, where often ambition, power, or fame is the aim of many where statements rather than questions dominate. Phrases like, and you can fill in the answer, I'm the best at, or I want to be the best at, footballer, ballerina, musician, dancer, people often say, I'm the best, don't they? They like being thought of as the best. And I wonder if it was that misplaced ambition or something else that's being sought for James and John in our passage. Can these verses help us reconnect with our childlike ability and honesty are asking big, bold questions? Now, Sam's question, I'm going to steal it now without even warning him or asking him. Is that okay, Sam? Can I use your question? Sam wants to know why the kingdom isn't here yet. 
That's a really big question. I don't know if any of your questions were like that. But as we think about those questions and as we think about Jesus' questions, we're wanting to try and find out how we can be humble and servant-hearted like he is. And in our passage, a woman, we think it's probably Jesus' aunt, so his mother's sister, comes to Jesus. Now, did anyone pick up on what her body language was when she comes to Jesus? What was she doing as she came to Jesus? Khan, any takers? Who was listening? What was she doing as she came to Jesus? Oh, there we go. Kathy, what was she doing? Shout really loud. She was kneeling down. Absolutely. She's on her knees. And Jesus' reply to this woman on her knees to her question is, what do you want? Jesus' question back to her is, what do you want? Now, she's got a pretty bold ask, hasn't she? Because she says, when Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can my sons, James and John, one sit at your right hand and one sit at your left? Now, I've picked up a picture that maybe imagines what she was thinking of. So there's James and John sat either side in the throne room of heaven. What do we reckon? And actually in Mark 10, a similar story is, is told. And James and John at this point ask the question themselves. They say, can we sit one either side of you? Now in Jesus' day, seats close to people of influence were reserved to reflect honour and status on the person who was sat either side. As you can imagine, the disciples aren't terribly impressed with their colleagues, are they? Um, so I'm wondering what that felt like. So if you imagine going to a birthday party and being invited to your best friend's birthday party, maybe, and everybody else muscles in the, to the seats closest to your best friend, and you don't get to have a conversation with them at all. That's not quite so nice, is it? Because actually you want to speak to that person, and that's why you're sat next to them, so that you can communicate with them. Now, in both Mark and Matthew's depiction of these events, Jesus is reported as replying with both a statement and a question. First of all, the statement, you don't know what you're asking. Basically, you haven't got a clue. What do you think? Really? And then the question, are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? You see, Jesus' reply and follow-on question is aimed, even though the question comes from the mother, right back at James and John. Jesus has in mind a place where the poor and the lost and the lonely are served. I wonder if our next picture is more an image of the throne room that Jesus has in mind. He has in mind those lost and lonely people. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus is talking with a young man and says, you lack one thing, go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Which is why I picked out this slide for the throne room. In verse 27, our reading, Jesus reminds those who are gathered with him, Whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. And that's why I think this picture is maybe a bit more powerful. Because the th throne room isn't the glorious, inaccessible throne room. 
but the throne room where the lost and the lonely are met. So Jesus' question, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Is it a rebuke, a telling off, or an invitation and an opportunity? Is it a telling off or an invitation and an opportunity? Because I don't know about you, but if I've had a conversation with someone and I've spun out a really quick answer in a hurry, and then I come to Jesus in prayer, often I think what I'm going to find when I get there is a bit of a telling off. Natalie, you could have replied more slowly. You could have thought about your answer more considerately. And you could have given that person more grace. And so I expect to arrive in the presence of Jesus to get a bit of a slap on the wrist. Actually, I don't think Jesus works that way. When we come to him, our hearts are triggered by the Holy Spirit to realize that we've maybe overstepped the bounds. And Jesus, in his response back to us, often gives us an opportunity or a chance to come closer, to grow in his presence and to change. Even in the face of desire for power or greatness on the family of James and John, I'd like to suggest Jesus doesn't tell them off. Instead, he's offering them an opportunity to think about life as his friend and follower. Their opportunity is to join in with the way that Jesus does power and authority, a way of humility and service. When we, like James and John, come to Jesus, sometimes we arrive there in desperation. Maybe we feel a bit like the aunt. We arrive on our knees, literally waiting to be in the presence of Jesus. We might come to him because we're at the end of our energy, We might come to him because we've got huge questions that we want answered. We might come to him because we're desperate to know and understand something, to see change or to find hope. Our passage emphasizes the importance of coming, not the state we are when we arrive with our questions, the importance of picking up the opportunity that Jesus offers. And in coming close, we get a chance to do things in a different way. So what is this cup of opportunity that James and John are offered? Let's have a look. There we go. There's a cup of opportunity. Matthew uses a cup as a symbol that he's picked up from the Old Testament, where it's a reminder that we join in with God's future and destiny that we join in with God's big plan of what he's got in mind. So in asking if James and John will take up Jesus's cup, he's asking if they're willing to join in with his big destiny plan. Let's have our next slide. Thank you so much. In Jesus's case, God's big plan for him was that he would go to the cross and die. The ultimate act of humility and service But then he rises to life again. So why does he need to rise? He rises so that we can be free to know the fullness and abundance of God's love for each one of us. And James and John, like Jesus, make a choice to follow God's big plan. And in their course of their life, they get to see the joy of miracles. But they also get to see a little bit of suffering. But they choose to take up the opportunity They choose to look closely at Jesus 
and to follow him in serving others. Now, I've got a few ideas about what coming close to people looks like and also what coming close to people helps us to think about coming close to Jesus. And my two examples are one of voice and one of body language. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get close to someone, really close, you can see the color of their hair, maybe the color of their eyes that you might not notice from a distance. So if I look at Julian at the moment, I can't tell what color his eyes are, but if I got a bit closer, I'd be able to see what color his eyes are. And as I get close to somebody and my friendship grows with them, I learn what their characteristics are, what things they laugh at, what things they love doing, and they get to see what I'm like. They get to know my personality and I see theirs. Now, a few years ago, I spent a little bit of time traveling around the world, which was fun. It was really good. When I got back, how many accents do you think I'd picked up along the way from people that I got close to? I spent quite a bit of time in Australia and I picked up that classic lift at the end of the sentence, which makes absolutely everything sound like a question to an English person's ears. I was learning to mirror the accents of those people I was up close and personal with. And sometimes we do this with people's body language too. So I've got some volunteers, Thea and Bethany. Bethany's gonna come right up front with me and Thea's gonna be standing towards the back. And they're gonna help me think about mirroring. So let's um, have my next slide up as well, please. So we've got some mirroring going on from a distance here. I apologize to those of you who are online who might not be able to pick this up straight away. So Bethany, you're gonna give some actions for Thea to mirror. Off you go. Okay, try something a bit bigger. Even bigger than that, brilliant. How's she doing? Do you think she's doing okay? Okay, try something else. Excellent, okay, do you think we should let her come a bit closer? Okay, you can come a bit closer now, Thea. Let's have another action. Bit closer, 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 and then hopefully people at home can pick up a little bit of what you're doing. Go for it. Give us something else to do, Bethany. Okay, <laughs> gently. <laughs> another one. Okay, now they're going to come really close. They come and join me up here. Let's move that. So I'd like you to mirror some more actions. Off you go. Oh my goodness. Did I write a good enough risk assessment for this activity? Brilliant. One more. One more. Fantastic. Okay, so you two, tell me a bit about mirroring. What was it like mirroring from a distance? It was quite hard. I couldn't see straight away what she was doing. Okay, and what was it like giving actions for someone to follow? I don't know. You don't know? Mm. Okay. How did it change when you got up closer? It was easier. I could see her facial expressions as well. So were you mirroring some of her, fa yes, her facial I was. expressions? Her giggles. Her giggles. I was trying to do her giggles. Okay, let's turn that way a bit so that you can see each other and the camera can see you. Let's have another action, facial expression that Thea can mirror. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you so much. That's great, thanks guys. Now, you see, I think this is what Jesus is doing by inviting people to come close. He's saying, come close. 
See how I am around people. See how I am servant-hearted. See how I'm humble. And follow my way of being. There are different ways of coming close to Jesus, aren't there? So that we can mirror his actions and his lifestyle. Your way of coming close might be to read the Bible. Now, you might try the big picture. And it's a big story to get hold of, isn't it? So some people do that by following the Bible in one year. Some people spend a week reading one verse of Scripture. And that's how they get deep in and close to how Jesus behaved. Some people come close to Jesus by praying, some through worship and singing of their love for God and singing of all the wonderful things that he does in the world. Yet I wonder how we come close to Jesus' servant-hearted nature. How easy is it to mirror his humility and servant-hearted way of being? In verse 25, Jesus explains how we shouldn't do it. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so amongst you. And then he goes on to explain how they should do it. Whoever wishes to be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first amongst you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the way of a servant-hearted follower of Jesus. Our servant-heartedness is often revealed in how we love and serve others. Now, Mother Teresa once told a story of how one of her sisters had spent an entire day bathing the wounds of a dying beggar. This beggar had been brought to them from the streets of Calcutta, and Mother Teresa's voice dropped to a whisper as she explained... In reality, the nun had been bathing the wounds of Jesus. She insisted that Christ tests the love of his followers by hiding in grotesque disguises to see if we can still see him. So I wonder what mirroring Christ's servant-heartedness and humility could look like for you. So I've got a bit of a quiz. Everybody loves a good quiz. Let's have our quiz. Okay, you've got a number of statements here. Have a think about which ones are your servant-hearted ways of mirroring Jesus. I'm going to leave you a minute to think. You can chat with your neighbor or you can just think silently. Which are your ways of mirroring Jesus? And for adults only, on that second one where it says, I use the things I'm good at to help serve my family, friends, and church, adults only, you can add strangers on there as well. But children can't. Sorry about that. So whatever is your call from Jesus, whatever is your way of mirroring his servant-hearted nature, I'm going to pray for us as we move on in our service. And can we have the next slide up as I pray, please? Lord Jesus, create in us humble and serving hearts. 
Help us to be kind and generous. Help us to be those who would rather ask questions than make statements. Where you give us opportunities to join in your work, Lord God, would you help us and prepare us and make us ready? Give us your compassion so that our hearts and eyes can spot those who need your help and love. Transform us, Lord, through your work of your spirit so that we are humble in the way that Jesus is humble, so that we are servant-hearted in the way that Jesus was servant-hearted. To the glory of God, we pray. Amen.